Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to be here talking to you today. You are listening to a fresh new episode of Hildy's Hot Takes, and Louis Oosthuizen made one of the biggest pussy plays in the history of golf, especially in a major. And when I originally put this take out to my private snap story, which is usually where I test out my hot takes, if you will, and kind of see what the kind of see what the public consensus is with there with my close friends and you know people I I trust. Um, I I got a lot of flack for saying that, and I'll explain to you what happened and I'll break it down in a way that you cannot disagree with me. So, John Rom, what a guy! He is one back of Louis Oosthuizen going on to hole seventeen and hole eighteen on the final round at the fucking U.S. Open. Folks, this is the U.S. Open, probably the second biggest golf tournament in the entire world, depending on if you live in North America or Europe. You could say the the fucking other one, whatever. Um, so John Rom birdie seventeen and eighteen to go one stroke up on Louis Oosthuizen, as Louis Oosthuizen has holes 16, 17, and eighteen left to play, which means he needs to at least birdie one of them to tie John Rahm and force a playoff, get two birdies, and he wins. He pars 16, long par 3, made a nice par putt, and then he overcooks his driver with a draw into the fucking ravine on 17, into the penalty area, he's forced to take a drop, and he ends up bogeying the hole. Which isn't that bad. He goes on to hole 18, which is a par 5, so he has a chance to eagle it, and he eagled it on Saturday in the third round, so his confidence had to have been pretty high. He steps up steps up to the tee box. He overcooks his drive a little bit once again, and it goes into the first cut of the rough. And this is my describe, this is how I'm gonna describe the rough here. It was the part of the rough where everyone walks out of when they get out of the bunker. It was right beside a bunker. Everyone's walking out of it when they get out of the bunker. So the grass was padded down. You could see the ball pretty well. He gets up to it, and he has 247 yards out, okay? 247 yards to hit it onto the green and hit an eagle putt to tie and force a playoff in the U.S. Open, the fucking U.S. Open. Now, Louis Oosthuizen has about six or seven runner-ups in majors now, and I can definitely see why after the display he put on and the decision he decided to make. Instead of hacking one away out of the rough, giving it everything he can to possibly get it as close or as far up to the hole as possible, he says, nope, I can't get it there. He decides to lay up. Lay up. He lays up to 70 yards away from the green, and that's his shot. That's his shot to tie John Rahm is a layup to 70 yards, and he's got to try and dunk a 70-yard chip for Eagle. That's what he thought was the best decision that he could make to tie John Rahm in a fucking major. And that just does not make any sense to me. On his side, there is water on the front left of the green, but the pin was in a spot where he could have rolled it up, and he didn't even have to fly the green anyway, so that's out of the way. There's bunkers on the right so on and so forth. If you tell me that he tried to play for second, that is bullshit. 
because why would you play for second if you've been on the tour for 13 years and you only have one major? You've, you've gotten runner-up six times. Why on earth would you play for second? And even better, he was in solo second. So even if he steps up and hits that 247-yard shot and it goes in the water, that's a penalty area. He drops from right in front of the green, chipping a putt for par, and you're still solo second. So that's why it's so unfathomable for me that he fucking lays up at the U.S. Open. 247 yards. Even if you don't think you can get it there, it's a major. You think Tiger ever thought he couldn't get it there? Think Tiger Woods ever laid up on a par five down two strokes? Because that should be the litmus test if you're going to go for it or not. In a major on the last hole, the 72nd hole, what would Tiger Woods do? And if the answer there is Tiger Woods would fucking go for it, then you go for it. Because everyone's saying, oh, what if he had a bad shot? What if he had a bad shot? He said he couldn't get it there. What if he did get it there? What if he got it just there? What if he hits a perfect shot out of the rough with a three iron or a three wood, whatever he decided to hit, and it rolls up, nestles nice and close to the hole, and he taps it in for eagle? What if he did that? I guess we'll never know. All we have is... Him laying up to 70 yards and getting second, which is a pussy play, and I did not respect that. And the fact that is a hot take, and the fact that I got flack for saying that originally, just goes to show how soft everyone in this world is getting. Now, I just want to give you guys a little house cleaning update on my life. I am finally out of CAMSAC, thank God. I moved on Monday to the wonderful city of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, about 300,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. They call it the city of bridges, because I guess there's a lot of bridges, a couple of rivers running through. And I moved in with a buddy, nice little spot, college type house. And I'm just here training for next season and, and working. I got a job, a hilarious job as a pedicab chauffeur, like a pedal bike taxi, just driving around, picking up people for rides in downtown Saskatoon, making a quick buck that way. And then I also just got a job yesterday at this Italian restaurant called Chianti as a bartender and a server. Now, I've never done that before, but I told the guy I'm willing to learn. I'm eager to get good at it. And it's kind of always something I wanted to do in the off seasons is just like start mixing drinks because everyone that knows me know that I won't, I won't shy away from an alcoholic beverage. So, uh, that's kind of an interest of mine, and I'd like to get to know the ins and outs of the whole uh, restaurant industry. And with that being said, we'll move on with the podcast. I'm looking to actually diversify my audience. And to do that, I think the best way to do that is, you know, move on from sports. And what better way to move on from sports is to talk about Tinder and dating apps. Now, I'm no expert. I'm not the biggest ladies man in the world. I don't have it all figured out. I'm just going to talk about some people's bios in their profiles. Because to me, life is all about persuasion. If you want to get somebody to do something for you, you persuade them to do it. If you want something, if you want someone to be your friend, you have to persuade them to be your friend. You have to persuade them that they like you. Convince them that you're a good person and you're nice and that they want to be your friend. If you want to have a romantic partner, you have to do the exact same thing. If you're on Tinder trying to get laid or whatever the fuck you want to do, you can't be honest unless you think you're the 
best person in the entire world, then you can be honest. But the goal is to perceive and alter perceptions. The best way that you can alter perceptions is the way to go on Tinder, in my opinion. How can I get this person first to think I'm attractive, picking the best pictures I can pick of myself that I have in my camera roll? Second, how can I trick this person, which won't be really a trick once I get to know me because I'm a beauty. <laughs> yeah, that was a joke. Um, how can I get this person to think that they might want to hang out with me or think that I'm fun? So that should be the goal with anyone's bios. And I'm just going to list off some of the worst ones I've ever, not that I've ever seen, but I repeatedly see. That's how bad they are. Is I just repeatedly see them which I don't understand. And these aren't ordered, these aren't ordered from, from one to whatever. These are just off the top of my head. But this is actually the worst one that I see. You're scrolling across, you click on this girl's profile and 420 friendly, she says, with a smoke emoji. 420 friendly, like, are you fucking kidding me? Imagine identifying yourself with like other drugs. I get that weed is legal in a lot of places now, but like, that can't be the one thing or the first thing you want people to know about you is that you smoke weed. And if it is, then you kind of got to figure it out. But like, just imagine if you did it with other drugs, swiping on someone, click on their bio. Oh, Coke friendly with a snowflake emoji. Maybe a picture of you doing a line, giving a finger to the camera or like, haha, heroin friendly with the needle emoji. Like, I really don't care if you smoke. If there's a time and a place for it, but if that's the one thing you pick out, like, come on. Moving on. I only swiped right because of your dog. Like, oh, ha, 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 real fucking original. Or like, oh, I saw, uh, I saw a couple that were like, if my dog doesn't like you, then I don't like you. Like, fucking come on. These animals are licking their own assholes and eating goose shit off the ground. And you're going to narrow it down to a Tinder match, liking a Tinder match if the dog likes you or not. Like, I get if that's a joke, but it's still a, a shitty joke. The next one, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, I think, is you're swiping or you're going on Hinge and one of their questions, their answers to the question out of the blue. This is the wildest part. Fuck Donald Trump. Now, that's just ridiculous for a lot of reasons. But let's just say for argument's sake, let's do a little math here. 35% of the people in North America are right-leaning in terms of politics and 35 are left-leaning and 30 would say they're in the middle. Now, I know that's not completely accurate, but just for argument's sake, let's say that. So that's 65% of the population that either likes Donald Trump or doesn't give a fuck enough about Donald Trump to care that much or even find someone saying fuck Donald Trump attractive. So there are lonely people out there in the world, lonely, lonely people. And you know what they say that loneliness is the silent killer, lonely people that would kill for a significant other that would kill to get some Tinder matches that would kill for people to hang out with them. And you're limiting yourself to only 35% of the population just because of one guy and some political beliefs? Like your profile says you're 24, so stop acting like you're fucking nine years old and grow up because that is insane. And I know that's gonna ruffle some feathers and I know there's some things that he's done that aren't great, but just come on people. Let's all act like adults and live together in harmony. 
The next one, no hookups. The first thing it says in their bio, no hookups. First of all, I've never honestly seen one attractive person on a dating app that had this bio. Second, it's like, if I match with you, my first thought is not, oh, I'm going to hook up with this girl. Or, oh, I want to hook up with her. Like, I'm just trying to get you to fucking reply a couple times first. And then maybe if you think I'm funny, maybe you want to grab a drink or some coffee in person. Then maybe we're going to date. Then maybe, just maybe, after all that, you know, we'll think about hooking up. And if it goes further than that, quicker than that, Sure. I mean, I'm not, if, if I like the girl, I'm not going to be the one to say no, but no hookups right off the bat. Like, could you be more, I don't know, unwilling or, or seeming like you don't want to do anything like no hookups. Okay. So what do you want to do? Fucking twiddle each other's thumbs. Like, what are you doing? Maybe you could say I'm looking for a, a relationship. That would be a lot better than no hookups because that's more open and more um, willing than, Oh, Right away. First, my first impression of you, no hookups. Oh, well, you seem like a fucking dandy to hang out with. A couple more left that I got. Um, oh, yeah, just circling back to the responding thing. I see a lot of girls post, I suck at responding in their bio. Awesome. Awesome. Love to hear it. That fucking turns me on when I text a girl and she doesn't reply. And she tells me right away that she's not going to reply. And that's even better. That's going to make me want to talk to you so bad. That's going to make me want to take you on a date. It's going to make me want to be involved with you romantically so bad if you don't reply to my texts. Like, if you suck at texting or responding, then honestly, what the fuck are you good at? Like, come on. And a couple more here, I promise. And then we'll move on. The second last one I have is could probably out drink you. Uh, yeah, no offense, but you can't. And even if you could sick brag, whoop de doo like is, am I supposed to be impressed by that? And the last one is no bio at all. What would you like me to do when we match? If we match, if you match with anyone, what would you like them to do if you match with them, they match with you, and I open up your profile, and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. You want me to send you a GIF? Maybe a couple waving emojis like, hey there. Like, and then I just don't know what to do. And I've never, ever had anything amount with anyone that I've matched with that had no bile because I just don't understand what you're supposed to do with that. And that was talking Tinder. That was diversifying my audience and time to move on to some more hockey bullshit. Now, mark your calendars, folks. It is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. And then this, this is the first time in the history of Hildy's Hot Takes podcast that I've been 100% factually correct on something. I talked last week about people not putting respect on Montreal Canadian name. Well, what do you have to say to that now? What do you have to say to that now? Oh, weak division. The North Division sucks. Blah, blah, blah. What the fuck do you have to say to that now? Because they're honestly whooping the Vegas Golden Knights' ass right now. Up 3-2. to two. 
I know that the series isn't over until the fat lady sings, until that fourth game is won. And I know that Vegas can come back. But even if they come back, how many fucking people out there that were shitting on the North Division all year predicted this series to be going seven games? My buddy texted in, in a group chat that I have yesterday that he said, if Montreal beats Vegas, he's not going to know what to think. And I said, it's the fucking conference finals of the Stanley Cup. Anything can fucking happen. The teams band together. If you're eight wins away from the Stanley Cup, it doesn't matter who's on your team or who you got playing or who's behind the bench or fucking what your fan base is. You're going to be busting your nutsack 200 feet of the ice the entire game, full 60-plus minutes, overtime if it's if necessary. You could plop the Buffalo Sabres out of the blue. Worst team in the league. You could plop them in the semifinals of the Stanley Cup and say, here you go, eight wins. And they would fucking band together. I can't guarantee you they'd win, but I guarantee you they'd put up a fucking fight. The best, more fight than they gave all, all regular season. So, like I said, just absolute American ignorance and arrogance uh, the standard bias from America that Canadian things are shitty. And guess what? The North Division was a legit division. It's a division in the NHL, the best league in the world. You think a whole division is just going to be written off and shitty just because it's in Canada? That is insane. And I'm happy that Montreal is putting up a good fight. I don't particularly like Montreal, but I like that they proved all these idiots wrong. And you know who else these playoffs have been a bunch of fucking idiots are the refs. The refs have been horrible. And here's my theory on the refs. They're all a bunch of guys that have made it to where they are. So you got to respect that. They moved up the ranks. They make it to the NHL just like a hockey player makes it to the NHL. The only difference is they don't, they're not playing hockey. They're watching it. They're not playing the game. We're not talking about practice. Not practice. We're talking about the game. They're not playing the game. They quit when they were in Bantam or Peewee or Midget, and they've been refing ever since. So I'm convinced that these guys really have no fucking idea what playing an actual hockey game in the NHL is like. I don't either. But, you know, I played at some pretty high levels, like levels where guys are going right to the NHL from where I'm playing. So... I would like to think that I know more about fucking hockey than these refs that haven't played a game since 1990. So that's where my head is at with the, with the refs. So you can't even blame them that much because they just don't have a fucking clue. They call the rule book kinda, and they keep on talking about game management. It's like you don't have to fucking do anything with game management if you just set a standard of rules and you go off the rule book and you fucking follow it. You can't just be all over the place. High stick, let go here. Check from behind, left go here. And then take one guy out of a scrum. Like that is unbelievable. And the some playoff games have been borderline hard to watch. Where either one team gets one power play and the other team gets no power plays. Or there's fucking six power plays a period. And that's just brutal. I don't think either of those are a good way to settle the game. Because I do believe that discipline is a huge, huge, huge part of winning and becoming a Stanley Cup champion. So teams should get rewarded for that. And on the flip side, being on the power play and playing the penalty kill the entire game, that doesn't measure the, the overall best team in a playoff series either. 
So can the refs please just fucking figure it out and call it fair and call it well and call it just normal? Like, God, they always try to make it about themselves. And I just played in the fucking SPHL and you should have seen some of the ding dongs we had refing down there. It was embarrassing. Like, and these refs are putting up a pretty big fight to compare to the SPHL refs. And that's saying a lot. And we have officially reached the 20-minute cutoff so you guys can get in and get out. I'm not taking too much of your time. Thank you again for listening. Please, if you like the podcast, share it with your friends that might not know me. Share it with your friends that do know me. Um, Let's get the word out that, I don't know, let's just get the word out that I'm putting on a good show for the folks. I hope I am. I've been getting some good feedback. I've been getting some good constructive criticism. If you have any of that, keep it up. Keep it coming. I love to listen to you guys. And if you disagree with anything I'm saying, like I said in the first podcast, fucking reply to me on Twitter. Give me a text. Call me. Tell me I'm an idiot. Fuel my fire so that next week I just come back with hotter and better and more precise and thought out takes like I promised from the get-go. I'm having a lot of fun doing this. I hope you guys are having fun listening, and I'll see you next week.